All right. Well, hello, friends. I hope we are fired up. I, I love, I'm loving these uh, intros here. I see them for the first time when you do, uh, never quite knowing what we've gotten ourselves into. But uh, hey, it's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Ethan Magnus. I am one of the pastors here and so glad uh, to be with you as we continue our series on the DNA of FCC. All right, let's jump into where were we? We're the DNA of FCC. Uh, we know that in biological terms, uh, DNA is the instruction manual for every cell in our body. It's what determines the development of every organ and every hair and every eye and every finger and toe. Uh, the DNA is what drives our cells to function in unity as one body. It's what drives them in diversity to accomplish their different tasks. It's the, it's the marching orders for the whole organism. And the same thing is true of the church. We have a DNA. We have a simple set of marching orders that animate and mandate God's people to move forward. And so we're just, in this series, we're just looking at these simple instructions from Jesus to God's church. We already talked about the call to love God. We said that the call to love God means that our first commitment, the first element of our DNA is that we serve God alone and we worship God alone and we obey God alone. Last week, we looked at the second element of our DNA, to love others. And we talked about the world-changing opportunity that the church has in a culture, in a time where there was so much hate and so much cruelty, the church can stand up and live out its DNA and genuinely love everybody. We've got these new t-shirts to remind us that our, God's love is for everyone. These two instructions, love God and love others, uh, come from a little teaching of Jesus that Christians throughout the ages have called the Great Commandments. Because Jesus said, there are no commandments greater than these. Love your God and love your neighbor. And this week, uh, we encounter the third element of our DNA. Uh, the third element of our DNA uh, comes from Jesus' big parting instructions to his disciples. We called those other two the great commandments. This one we call the great commission. Uh, this conversation occurs after Jesus' resurrection. He's been gathered again with his disciples. It occurs just before his ascension. It's his final instructions to his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 16 and following records it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This instruction from Jesus is so vital to the nature of the church. 
I mean, this is an essential element of our DNA. If we don't get this instruction deep into our lives as individual followers of Christ and as the people of God gathered together, then pretty soon we won't be a church. This is essential DNA. You know how they they can test DNA, scientists can, and they can tell you whether it's dog DNA or cat DNA or human DNA or flea DNA, whatever it is, right? Well, this is one of the ways you test. Is this church DNA? Is this Jesus DNA? In between Jesus claiming that he has all authority in heaven and earth, And Jesus promising to be with us to the end of the age, Jesus gives us this clear and simple instruction, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. This text, the Great Commission, uh, one of the things I like about it is it clarifies for us something essential to the Christian life. Uh, One of the ways the Bible talks about the Christian life in several different texts, it talks about it as a race. Uh, Paul says, run your race, or I have run the race. Do not give up running the race. Hebrews says, each one of us must throw throw off every sin that entangles and run the race that's set before us. I love that metaphor. This text, this Great Commission text, this is the text that tells us what kind of race we're running. If the Great Commission were just, go baptize people in the name of Jesus, well then we would know the race we are running is a sprint. Just convince somebody to love Jesus long enough to get him dunked and we're done. If that was what the text said. If the Great Commission said, go baptize a bunch of people and then teach them to follow Jesus, well, then we would know what kind of race we were running. That would not be a sprint. That would be a marathon. For not only do we have to bring people to the point of commitment to Christ in baptism, we then have to teach people to follow Christ, which as we know, that is no easy task. That is no short race. That is a marathon of diligence and discipline. And if that were all the Great Commission said, then we would say the Christian life is a marathon. But the Great Commission does not merely say baptize people or teach people. The Great Commission says make disciples, which means the race we run is not a sprint to create converts. It is not a marathon to create followers. It is a relay race where even as I run my race, even as I run my personal marathon, I am also attentive to those who run behind me, those into whose hands I must entrust the gospel, those into whose hands I must entrust the church, those into whose hands I must entrust the very message of Christ Himself. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. This word disciples sometimes trips people up. 
Uh, we have, a, we have a, a, an American religious denomination that calls itself the disciples. Sometimes people use the word disciples to mean kind of members of a religious club. Jesus isn't trying to use any fancy language here. He's just using the most normal, plain old word he can think of. It's just a word that means learner, a word that means student, a word that means the one who imitates their master in every way, in every pattern. And this is the third element of the DNA of FCC. We make disciples. We didn't invent this part of our DNA. We didn't come up with it trying to be clever. We just paid attention to the instructions of Jesus. And Jesus, right in between where he said, I have all the authority in heaven and earth, and right before he said, I will be with you forever, he commanded his followers, go and make disciples. I want to park here for just a second because this mandate of the Great Commission, it means that we need to be equally concerned with three spiritual question. And I think sometimes we actually do our faith and our followership of Jesus a disservice by, by separating these three questions too far apart. According to the Great Commission, all three of these questions are part of our spiritual response to Jesus. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The Great Commission means that these three spiritual questions are of equal importance in the life of a Christ follower. Here are the three questions. Now, they go in order, but they are essential for everyone who seeks to follow Christ. The first question, have I begun the race? This is what the, the call to baptism is about in the Great Commission. The, 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 first and most, the first important spiritual question we must answer is, have I begun the race? Have I said, I'm in. I've decided to be a follower of Christ. I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm entrusting my life to Christ. And no one, we've got to recognize this, no one can be a follower of Christ unless they've, answered that question. Have I begun the race? Have I said, I'm in, I'm committed? The second spiritual question, though, is just as important. No, it, it, it's the, it is the second one. The first one comes first. You've got to do the first one first before you get to the second one. But the second spiritual question is just as important. Am I running the race? Am I actually persisting as a follower of Jesus Christ? And then the third spiritual question who am I teaching to run the race? And one of the things I notice about the church is any time we begin to erase one of these questions or we begin to diminish the spiritual priority of one of these questions, over time, the witness of the church weakens. Over time, the witness of the church weakens. Maybe you're tempted to, uh, to, to, to weaken the significance of question number one, have I begun the race? You know, you, you grew up in the church, you've sort of been a Christian all your life, maybe you just kind of inherited your faith. 
Well, I think God's Word is super clear that that is not an option for us. One does not stumble into faith in Christ. One chooses faith in Christ. I would just say, if you're here and maybe you haven't made that choice yet and you're like, you don't understand, Ethan. I'm not ready to choose Christ because I have all these questions and I have all these concerns and I have all these doubts. Well, I would just take you back to the Great Commission text we just read. Look at the intro to that text. I love the intro to this text. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I love this about Jesus. Jesus does not think some measure of doubt prevents us from making a decision to follow him. We do this all the time in, in other arenas of life, right? You know, your GPS says go this way, and you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure. Okay, I'll follow it anyway. You have doubt, but still you follow, right? That happens. And Jesus is saying, you can do that with me. So you've got questions. So you've got concerns. Everybody in this room has a few questions left. Everybody in this room has some stuff they don't have figured out. Everybody in this room is worried about something or nervous about something or unsure about something. But the first move of a person who wants to follow Christ is the move to say, I'm in. I choose to run the race. It's the first big move of the Christian life. And if you've never made that move, you cannot be a follower of Christ apart from making that move to say, that's it. I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, wherever you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the way Jesus taught for us to begin our followership of Jesus. The second big move, though, again, we sometimes eliminate this move. Like maybe we're still big on baptism, but we kind of we forget about obedience. We forget about followership. But again, there is no healthy church that doesn't include this as the second spiritual question. Am I running the race? It's fascinating. You know, most of us, when we see somebody we don't know, when we greet somebody on the street, we say, hello. You know, that's basically, that's not how greeted, Jesus greeted people. You go read the Gospels. Jesus, every time Jesus meet, he'll meet total strangers. He's just walking up to them. Like, hey, you, follow me. That was basically how Jesus said Hello was to say, hey, you, follow me. Y'all over there in the back, follow me. You people doing whatever you're doing, you follow me. Those of you up there, different country, different nationality, you're not even my people. Y'all follow me anyway. That's just how Jesus met people. Because after we choose to trust Jesus with our life, the very next move of God's Spirit is for us to be followers of Jesus. Paul writes to the Philippian church, I love this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And some of us, we get to that verse and we stop right there. Oh, I love that. So that's what the Christian faith is. I'm supposed to think about a bunch of stuff. But look at the next verse, Philippians 4, 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
This is so important that we never forget that our faith is not merely a belief system. You know, sometimes sociologists or other people will talk about the belief systems of the world, and they'll say Christianity is a belief system. And I sort of know what they mean, and I don't want to quibble, but in here, let's just be clear, Christianity is not a belief system. It's a following system. It's a way of life. It's a pattern of living. And this is the way we turn the sprint into a marathon is when we say, God is asking more of me than just to one time make a choice, just to one time go get baptized, just to one time declare my allegiance. That's how it begins. But then God says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded. We must move from being converts to being followers. If you're asking me, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, but I don't actually know how to be a follower. How do I turn my beliefs into actions? I would just, maybe just this little simple thing here, just, just, just do these three questions. What kind of person am I? Just be honest. What kind of person am I? And then go study God's word and figure out what kind of person is Jesus. And then anywhere you see a difference, change. That'd be a great way to start. Just start that simply. Be honest, what kind of person am I? Study God's word, what kind of person is Jesus? And then anywhere you see a difference, change. Just go follow Jesus. Um, here, here's one way to think about it, ready? When you study the God's Word, or maybe in your Sunday school class, when you have a lesson in your Sunday school class, or in your small group when you're talking about God's Word together, if you think to yourself, ooh, what did I learn? You're not thinking like a follower. If at the end of the lesson, though, you think to yourself, ooh, what must I do? That's the question of a follower. Three big spiritual questions. Have I begun the race? Am I running the race? And the third essential move of the Christian spiritual life is who am I helping run the race after me? And again, I just want to be as clear as I can with you. God's Word is crystal clear on this. For those of us who are in Christ, the move of deciding to follow Christ the move of following Christ and the move of helping others follow Christ are of equal spiritual significance. Have you made a decision for Christ? Praise God for that. Have you begun to follow Christ? Praise God for that. But if you have not yet begun to help others follow Christ after you, to make disciples after you, there is a spiritual move left for you to make that is essential to the Christian life. There is no opt-out clause from the Great Commission. It wasn't like Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, except for y'all three. Y'all just kind of be well-behaved and nice and sit in a pew. You're good. But No, there was no opt-out clause. The call to be baptized into Christ the call to obey the teaching of Christ, and the call to then make disciples in Jesus' name, these commands come in one breath from our Lord Christ. 
Again, we look at the life of Paul. I love how we see this model in the life of Paul. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I remember the first time I read that sentence, I just thought how crazy that a person would ever have the guts to say that sentence. I feel like I would never, I'm so base, I'm so weak, I would never have the guts to say, hey, you should imitate me while I imitate Christ. Paul isn't saying that because he thinks he's so awesome. Paul is saying that because Jesus Christ demands it. And Jesus Christ wants you to be saying that to somebody too. And I know that's a little bit terrifying, but that's what the Great Commission says. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Converting them, helping them start the sprint, teaching them to follow, helping them run the marathon, but then also teaching them that it's a relay race and our faith is meant to be passed on to the next generation. I love the way Paul teaches this principle to his disciple Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Paul anticipates that his ministry to Timothy will become Timothy's ministry to others, and that Timothy's ministry to others will become their ministry to others, and on and on and on and on. Again, maybe just like with following, you're telling me, Ethan, you don't understand. I want to make disciples. I want to be a disciple maker. I just don't know how. Where do you even get started? Here, I got just three things. This is, this is how you make a disciple. If you just do these three things, you'll be well on your way, okay? Get to know someone well enough to know where they are, to know their life. Get to know Jesus well enough to know what Jesus is like. And then when you see a gap, point them in the direction of Jesus. That's discipleship. Get to know a friend really well who worries constantly. Get to know Jesus who trusted his Father. And then in a loving way, say, hey, you know, this may sound crazy, but I think you'd worry less if you read the Psalms more and just learned to really trust God. I could be wrong, I don't know, but I think so. That's discipleship. Get to know them, get to know Jesus, and point them in the direction of Jesus. If you're telling me, Ethan, you don't understand, I don't know very much. Fine. Just teach the little that you know. Just teach that little bit. Because the Great Commission makes it clear, and I just want to be as clear as I can, that the work of disciple-making is as essential to our faith as the work of committing our lives to Christ and the work of following Christ. The three, they come in order. I mean, you have to do one, then the other, then the other. But all three are essential to the Christian life. So here's my big question. How are you living out this piece of your DNA? How are you making disciples? Do you know the answer to that question? I'll just be clear, nobody ever accidentally made disciples, okay? If, and if you, so if you don't know the answer to this question, you're probably not living out this part of your DNA yet. 
how are you living out this part of your DNA? I'll just be blunt. If you want to get started, if you're stumped, like I don't even know where to begin, volunteer for the kids' ministry. Boom, you're doing it just then. Two weeks later, you'll be like, I know how I'm living out this part of my DNA. I'm finally fulfilling the Great Commission. After all these years, I'm down there in the preschool room telling these little kids God loves them, and I am making disciples of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Absolutely. I'll tell you, hands down, I get to do a lot of things in this church. I love almost everything I do in this church. I love preaching here on Sunday morning, but the best thing I do in this church is I lead a small group at my house on Sunday nights of junior and senior high boys. Best thing I do in this church, hands down. These guys are at the front edge of trying to figure out who are they going to follow, what are they going to do in their life, and I have no better day than one of them comes to me and says, Ethan, here's a situation I'm facing. How do you think I should handle it? And I get to say, well, here's how I think Jesus would handle it, and here's how I see you handle it. Why don't you try and handle it more like Jesus? Because that's discipleship right there. If you're asking yourself, out, if you're saying, I want to live out this part of my DNA, I'm done not obeying the Great Commission, well, be a youth sponsor. Be a children's ministry worker. I just, I, I, we, ought, we ought to have a backlog. We ought to have a waiting list of people trying to serve in our kids' ministry and our student ministry because it's such an easy way to fulfill this essential element of our DNA. Now, that might not be your place. Okay, great. Be a Sunday school teacher. Be a mentor. Find a struggling young family and buy them lunch every once in a while. But, but don't give up. Don't pretend that this commission isn't for you. Everyone on this earth is called by God to make a decision to trust Christ. And everyone who has made a decision to trust Christ is called by Christ to become a follower of Christ. And everyone who is a follower of Christ is called by Christ to make disciples. This is our DNA. We love God. We love others. And we as a church have accepted our commission to take up our part in the race and train disciples to run long after us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just ask that you would help us to run the race set before us. Teach us to recognize that the race is not a sprint to be run in some flurry of commitment. The race is not even just a marathon to be run over the long haul of our life of discipline and submission to you. But God, the race is even longer than that. It is a relay race. Teach us, God, to accept our responsibility that as we commit to you and as we follow you, we are charged with the task of raising up disciples after us. Teach us this now, God, in the name of the one who has called us his disciples, even Jesus Christ. Amen.